America. Hey, great to see you. And I'm glad you're here. Um, the neighborhood in which I grew up in was considered to be one of the nicer neighborhoods in town. It was a town of about 5,000 people. We were up on West Hill. And thus, on the night of Halloween, it was the place to trick-or-treat. Carloads of kids from all over our small town would descend upon that neighborhood. And I remember one Halloween, we ran out of candy and started to give out apples that we had in the garage. For mom and dad always had a supply of something in a wooden box or two in the garage. And probably our neighborhood was not the only neighborhood that was hit that hard. I am suspecting people went to other neighborhoods, but since we lived there, we just never felt the need to go and trick-or-treat anywhere else. And that was really also when Halloween was kid-friendly, uh, before there was any concern about people putting like pins or razor blades in candy or any sort of chemicals. Um, it was a it was a time when people were more trustworthy. I guess it was also a time then when the criminals, at least the criminals, the bad guys, at least had moral standards where they said to themselves, you don't mess with the kids. You don't pick on the kids. You leave the kids alone. Compared to the costumes of today, the store-bought costumes back then were rather primitive. In fact, they would, man, it seems like they would come in a box about the size of like what a pie would come in at the store. And there would be like a very, there would be a little plastic mask, okay? And then there would be this kind of very light outfit that you would put on over your clothes and tie the back of it. And, and um, the mask, man, were they chemical in nature. And <laughs> part of me kind of likes the way they smelled. And I, I think if I smelled them, I would instantly be brought back to that period of time. All night long, you would constantly inhale or consume the molecular compounds of the mask. And also, the masks were not designed to ventilate themselves very well. So it was kind of a combination of rich chemicals and your own sweat when you finally took one off. In addition, there was a um, basically just a rubber band that went around the back of your head that was stapled, I think, inside to the mask. And something about that rubber band, that rubber band just seemed to cut into the side of your head. And I remember it even leaning, leaving like a line on the side of my head, right above my ear. And so, I mean, one memory of Halloween is that if I wore something like that, my head was always hot and it was always itchy. Now, often I would, along with my younger brother, we would create our own costumes. Um, our family had a, a room, a back room called the outer room, and it wasn't outside the house. It was just called the outer room. And there were two large built-in closets in that room in which were located like baseball gloves, bats, balls, various clothes that we used when pretending and playing footballs and just kind of assorted play equipment. And the night before Halloween or even the day of, I would be back there rummaging through the closets and find, well, something that just seemed to work. Because uh, I wasn't really into the store-bought, 
store-bought costume and there was also a limited amount of options in the store-bought costume it seemed like a like a frankenstein or a vampire or a princess or maybe a werewolf or etc and the actual trick-or-treating at least for me probably lasted an hour or so and along the way there was always a house and i still remember which one it was it would hand out full-size candy bars and then there was another house that every year that at least i remember trick-or-treating the woman of the house handed out homemade popcorn balls wrapped in like colorful saran wrap and and bless that lady she put a lot of work into that but i don't like popcorn balls okay i just don't i guess it was kind of an early version of caramel corn because it was this ball of popcorn with kind of this thing that held it together. When my younger brother and I would arrive back home, we would pour out our candy from the buckets or bags, separate everything out. And then I think this is true in most families, there would be some sort of trading. And I always believe that, uh, I think we went one-on-one -on, -one on the trade, even though a lot of people say like, oh, no, 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 no. A Snickers is not the same value as Laffy Taffy, you know, or, or that sort of thing, uh, or Smarties. And so usually we were able to make that work. Now, I, am, I, I might have been around 12 when I realized, and I was like halfway through trick-or-treating that night, and it dawned on me, I'm too old for this. Yeah, I was about halfway through that first loop, and I remember exactly what house I was at, the Miles house. And I announced to my mom after I think I went up to the door and came back and said, you know what? I think I said something like, you know, I think I'd rather go back home and hand out candy. I'm not sure if I said I'm too old for this. That's really what I want to do. I want to greet the kids trick-or-treating and pass out the candy. And it's interesting, she did not object and thought it sounded like a good idea. From then on, every year, even during high school, and for a year after that, when I was still at home, I manned the front door on Halloween night. And dad, my dad did not seem to mind that I took his job. As far as the candy was concerned, because I was often working from an early age, I always seemed to have some spending money, even though I never received an allowance. So missing the big night of Halloween was never a problem. In fact, during one summer, the owner of the local Western Auto Store asked me if I would like a portable candy stand, which he had built for his kids years previously. They would have been like five or six years older than I was. It was in his basement and he wanted it gone. And I said, yes, it was of simple wood construction with a little gate to enter, two sides, and a front with a place to put the candy for sale. You know, that was kind of slanted down where you put the candy there. There also might have been a shelf under the counter for the cash box. And so I would go to the store, stock up on some candy bars, get what I considered to be a good collection, what my customers would want. Then I set up my stand on the street corner and sold to the neighbor kids. My markup might have been 25 cents on a bar. It is interesting what happens when you start selling candy. 
you are no longer tempted by it because that candy is money sitting on the counter. When I started, I thought I might just eat all my profits, but the opposite happened. I started to view candy as a product, as a commodity to be exchanged for cash. And over the years of doing little things on the side now and then, I've often thought about writing down some principles for being successful in business. And here, here are some that I kind of came up with. Number one, stock and sell what people actually want. And, and I think the lesson there is when we, when we kind of did some furniture, I painted the furniture the color that would sell. Not necessarily the color I would have in my house. What do people want? I've seen so many businesses that, okay, but that's what you want, but your customers may not want that. Are you selling what your customer wants? If the product is not moving, then you need to lower the price. Yeah, need to offer a discount because it's taking up valuable space. Offer a discount when they buy more than one item. You want your customer to feel like they got a deal. And you, on a certain level, you want them to. You want it to be mutually beneficial and business can be mutually beneficial. It's not the idea that in business or whatever that someone wins and someone loses, that's false. That's absolutely false. Both the person selling and the person buying can both win. It can be good for both of them. Enjoy the process. Never view your customers as an inconvenience. If there's a problem, resolve it quickly. Even if you have to take a loss, make it right. Do what is necessary to make them feel good about the transaction as they leave. I always, when I would sell something to someone, I'm all, I always wanted them to not regret the purchase. Go the extra mile. Do one more thing for the customer than your competition. You want your candy bar delivered? Sure. Over the years, I've loved doing business with places that have a no problem mentality. For example, if I called my favorite Chinese restaurant and said, this is Mark. I have 20 people from church and an elephant. Can I reserve the back room? I would probably hear, no problem. See you in 15 minutes. We will get big chair for elephant, okay? During the virus, I went to my favorite Mexican restaurant and asked if there was a limited menu from which I would be ordering as many places were doing. Could I order off the lunch menu or dinner? The young man at the counter said, you can order anything you want. I'll always support a business like that. Mark, you're not a problem. What can we make for you? I've also been to businesses like, well, that's going to be a problem. That's not, you know. Uh, you want your customers never to feel like they're intruding or that they are a problem in any way, shape, or form. Back to Halloween. Manning the front door and meeting all the trick-or-treaters gave me an opportunity to see many of my friends from school. They would arrive in their costume and say, hey, Mark, can you guess who this is? One night, I remember someone coming at around 10 p.m., and that was late. By 9 o'clock, and of course, this is a small town, and this is still, this is still an era where parents <laughs> were still parents, 
and where kids went to bed at like 8, 8.30. And, and there was not this long, drawn-out battle. So 10 o'clock, yeah, that's typically didn't get anyone coming trick-or-treating at around 10 o'clock. That was really late for our household because typically bedtime, 9. Well, this kid had been all over town. He had a full-size pillowcase, and it was stuffed with candy. In fact, he left a trail of candy as he departed, and some of the pieces of that candy were there on the porch going out on the sidewalk the next morning. Years later, when my stepdad was manning the door during the late 90s, when there, I guess there was kind of a resurgence of Halloween, he said they regularly had over 300 kids show up. And I would guess that we had at least that many or more during the late 60s and the 70s. This is Mark Dunnigan for The Daily Answer. Until next time, we'll see you in the funny papers. Thank you.